Good morning. Happy to see everyone here this morning. I want you to think this morning about joy. About joy. A couple weeks ago on Wednesday night, when we had our, when we were partnered up, Linda and I were partners. I don't hesitate to say that I had the best partner of anybody. Y'all might have liked yours, but mine was better. But one of the things that Linda said when we were talking about the fruits of the Spirit, well, she reminded me of something that I've heard many times, but I haven't really thought about it. But she said, you know, with the word joy, some people say it's Jesus, others, and yourself. The J, the O, and the Y. And that's a pretty good sort of method for how we should live our lives. Because if we think about putting Jesus first and putting others that we come in contact with second, and then ourselves third, we're always going to strive to see what we can do to help them. And there's all kinds of biblical examples that we'll see, and we'll see some of them today, about how, you know, we grow, we benefit, we find joy in seeing other people do well. Other people have success. Well, today we're going to talk about joy in worship. And we've spent the last two Sundays, and now this is the third and final Sunday, talking about worship. And on the first week, we talked about the object of worship. What is the reason for worship? Why are we here? What should we be worshiping? And then on the second week, last week, we talked about what is our attitude toward worship? Is it just simply being here? Uh, Is it trying to be dressed up fancy and looking all nice so that people see us when we walk in and out of the building? Um, Or what is our attitude supposed to be? Well, today we're going to look at then the joy of worship. What can we take from this? What is the joy that we can get from it? I think almost all of us would agree that it's better to be joyful than not. Most of us have had times where we've not been joyful. It's probably something to do with things at home or things at work or something that sort of drags us down. And we always spend our time looking at how can I get sort of beyond that. Jameson talked a little bit about that there just a moment ago. But the problem is there's always going to be something. Because when you fix one thing, there's going to be something else that's going to show up or that's going to need uh, dealt with. But all of us have said, you know, we would like nothing more than to be joyful. Well, if we can't fix joy at home, and we can't. If I can't fix joy at work, we probably can't. We can at least think about today the joy of worship. And I may only get an hour or two hours or at most the way our schedule is set, four hours of the week that we can be together with fellow Christians, assured Sunday mornings and evenings and Wednesday nights. But how can I make those four hours out of 168 as joyful as they can be? And that should be our goal. But here's the thing. The joy that we find in worship has to come from us. All right? It's got to be a little self-generating joy that we bring to it. Because remember, if we're going to put Jesus and others first, got to generate that joy for them. But if that's what's happening, then you're generating it for me also. So let's talk a little bit about joy here, first of all. Psalm 100, what we just read there a moment ago, uh, quite well known. I would say the 23rd Psalm is probably a more known Psalm, but that's a very well known 
psalms. And it, part of the reason is, is it extols the virtues of worshiping God. Worship should be joyful. Worship should be full of gladness and should be full of thanksgiving. That's what worship should be. In any religion, I'm not even talking about Christianity. The importance of worship in any religion should be an exciting time. Because whatever your God is, you would think the people would be happy to be with that. In Christianity, it certainly should be the case. In Psalm 122 and verse 1, David writes, I was glad when they said, let us go into the house of the Lord. Now, <clears throat> replace David with your name. Take a marker and mark out that name and write your name. Connie was glad when they said, let us go to the house of the Lord. Is that a true statement? Josh was glad when he said to me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Well, David said, yes, it was to him. Is it for us? Or do we instead replace that word glad with something else? I was okay when they said, let us go into the house of the Lord. I was upset when they said, let us go into the house of the Lord. Sometimes that happens. Sometimes we don't necessarily, I'm losing it right here. Sometimes we don't necessarily think about the word glad, but we don't always approach things with gladness. It's probably fair to say that we don't always approach the work that we do with gladness. How many of you have ever said, I was glad when I got to go to work? Well, probably at one point or another we've said that. But have you ever said something similar like, I was okay when I had to go to work? Or the person who sends the bills to my house told me I needed to go to work. One or the other like that. But joy is certainly something that uh, when we talk about this evening, joy, or this morning, joy and gladness is something uh, that we need to have when we have the opportunity to come together to worship. When we come together, we need to be joyful. We need to be thankful. But do we really mean it when we say it? Well, today we're going to talk about some reasons why we should have joy in worship. Let's start first with the Christian has every reason to rejoice. We should already, as a Christian, be joyful before worship. Do you know any Christians that just don't have any joy? Kind of disappointing, isn't it? It's a little disappointing. It seems like they hate everything. Ben talked a little bit about that in class this morning. About, but we think about like people that you know represent Christianity, as it were. If we're a Christian, you know, we need to be. We can't be hypocritical. We need to be a good representative of that. Well, if I tell you it's important for us to always be joyful as Christians, you're like, but you're never ever joyful. It's not a good selling point, right? Like Ben said, it's hard to sell something if you're not interested in having it. Yourself. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 4, Paul says to rejoice in the Lord always. So why should we rejoice? Well, I think we've got five or six things here that I want us to look at. They should all be up there on the screen. The verses are written there beside it as well. But the first one is we rejoice because of Christ. I've got a verse with each one. So I'm going to read the verse that goes with each one as we go. You might want to flip through as well because they're not going to be up here, just the number uh, verses here. We rejoice because of Christ. In Luke chapter 2 and verse 10, we read, The angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. This is right before Jesus is born, right? This is when the angel is speaking to Mary. And says, you have, there's going to be plenty of reasons 
for joy. Do we still have joy because we have Christ? Should we have joy because we have Christ? You know that little the song we used to sing in Bible school or whatever, I got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart? Well, do we have that? Do we bring that out because of who Jesus was? And as we go a little further, we're going to see not only that, but what Jesus did. Number two, we rejoice because of salvation. You ever had something that was missing, that was lost, that you couldn't find, and then you turned over a book, or you turned over a, you know, some, a, a chair, or something, and, you found, and you found this thing that you've been looking for forever. You ever rejoice on that? A few weeks ago, we lost our remote control. I think I told y'all about that. It was gone. I had to get another one. Guess what happened the other day? There's a recliner, and down in something, I don't know how it even got there, but it was there. Well, I, I didn't really need to rejoice because we'd already got a new, a new remote control. That's how, that's how quickly I gave up on it, so we'll just buy another one right then. But we found that remote. And even though that remote can really not do anything anymore, I'm still glad to find it. I was happy for it. It had been saved from the depths of the recliner had this remote control. But when we think about salvation, we should rejoice because of salvation. In Luke chapter 10 and verse 20, notwithstanding in this rejoice not that the spirits are subject unto you, but rather rejoice because your name's written in heaven. Now think about that for a second. We have a name written in heaven. That seems like something worthy of rejoicing about, right? That salvation is there for us. And you know, there's a whole lot of times that we feel a whole lot like that remote control, right? We're kind of lost in the bottom of that recliner. Don't know where I'm going. Maybe not even anybody's even looking for me. I'm getting squashed and set on. I'm getting tossed around. But whenever we realize, wait, our name is written in heaven, that makes it a whole lot better, right? We can go through a lot of troubles when we get to there. Number three, why should we rejoice? Well, we rejoice, oddly enough, because of persecution. In James chapter 1 and verse 2, we read, My brethren, count it all joy. It's a hard word to read. Count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. When you fall into things that are difficult, we should be joyful in that. Why should we be joyful when we go through temptations and difficulties? Well, first of all, the old saying is what doesn't kill us makes us stronger, right? We can grow from it. But not only that, if we're talking about being in Christ, we can look at examples in the Bible of where Jesus was tempted as we were, right? The Bible says he was tempted at all points but did not sin, correct? And so we can think about, well, Jesus went through these same things. If Jesus had been some sort of floating spirit that just sort of appeared but didn't have to go through things as a man, how would we relate? It'd be hard to relate, right? But instead, we know that Jesus faced the same kind of problems that we had. Those people that you have to work with, Jesus had to work with those same people. Those siblings that annoy you sometimes, Jesus wasn't probably annoyed by his siblings. Those possibilities where Jesus said, I could do this. Remember when the devil takes him out, into the, out in the wilderness? He says, turn these stones into bread. Jesus could do that. 
You know, he said, go up to the top, jump off, the angels will save you. He could do that. But he didn't. Because he overcame those temptations. We should count it all joy when we go through those and then overcome on the other side. Now, we will struggle with it. Absolutely, we all do. Every one of us struggle with it. But that's a reason to rejoice is when we overcome. Next Rejoice because the Lord's love never ends. Lamentations chapter 3, verses 20 through 24, we read that it is of Jehovah's loving kindness that we are not consumed because his compassions, his love, fails not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. Jehovah is my portion, saith my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. The part I like right there is sort of in the middle where it says, his compassions fail not. And there's a period, and then the next verse, next verse says, they are new every morning. Every morning when you get up, 365 times, and Ben's math is right there. I guess one leap year you sleep in. But uh, we, every morning when we get up, we have that love of Christ every single morning. When we wake up, when we rise up out of that bed, whatever time it is, before we're about to go off to work or whatever it is that we're about to do, we can say every single morning, Jesus loves me, this I know. Amen. And we can start with that. And so all the difficulties, all the problems, all the things that are absolutely going to face us, because we already talked about it, all those things that are going to face us during the course of the day, we can approach at least knowing that Jesus loves me. I'll start with that. And then afterwards, I might have to find some other verses that can strengthen me. But that's where we'll start. We can rejoice because God is the Lord. In the 100th Psalm, what we read there just a moment ago, know you that that the Lord, He is God. It is He that has made us and not we ourselves. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. God is the Lord. And we can rejoice also because we have God's truth. 3 John verse 4 says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. All of those are reasons why we should rejoice. We say, okay, well that's good, Daniel, but we're talking about worship, the joy of worship, right? Well, if we use all of those as reasons why we should rejoice, reasons why we have joy, then I think when we walk into this place, we're bringing that joy with us. Because we've got all of those things built up. Out of Christ, I'm following in truth. Jesus loves me. I am saved. My name is written. I've got all of those things with me. So now let's go into worship. We're going to look at the five aspects of worship here today. And I'm going to argue that worship is designed to be joyful. You remember the Andy Griffith show when Barney falls asleep during church? You know, he nods off and he walks out and he said, that's a, well, you can't preach enough on sin, right? That's what, that's what he said, right? That's exactly what he said. Well, a lot of times church is depicted, worship is depicted in that way. Everybody's killed over. This is boring. This is awful. This is terrible. I'm falling, banging my head. It's often depicted that way. But why is worship sometimes depicted in TV shows or books or whatever in that manner? Is it because we allow 
worship to become that way? Because we don't approach worship with joy? I think it is. So let's look at five aspects of worship here to start with. First of all, singing is a joyful activity. I'll take this time to invite you back tonight because we're going to talk about singing uh, this evening and why we sing and what are hymns and all that kind of stuff. But singing is designed to be a joyful activity. There is something inherently joyful about singing. How many of you have ever found yourself singing and didn't even realize you were doing it? Maybe you was driving somewhere. Maybe you was at work. Maybe you realize that people are staring at you and you're singing a little louder than you thought. And maybe he's out mowing and people, I think I hear noise coming from over there. Jess used to make fun of me about mowing uh, and singing. But there's something joyful about singing. In James chapter 5 and verse, 10, uh, verse 13, it says, Is any cheerful? Let him sing praises. So if I'm cheerful, I'm going to substitute joyful there as well. If I'm cheerful, I should be singing, right? Well, Okay, that sounds good then. So there should be joy in singing. That's a real good example of that. What about Paul and Silas? Remember the story of Paul and Silas? In Acts chapter 16, they're in prison. And what happens? The earthquake hits, right? Oh, it's the horror. But they're in jail. But they were singing in jail. And we think about, okay, well, these bad things that might occur to us, these problems that might occur to us, but even in the worst conditions, they were singing as well. We ever do that? You know, sometimes we find ourselves singing in an entertaining, man, things are going good, blah, 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 singing all this. Do we ever find ourselves singing when things are bad? You know, there are some things that pop into my head on certain dates or certain times. When I think about people, and one, of the pers- one person that I often think about is my, my uh, grandparents. That both of them passed away. But I always think about the song, Shall We Gather in the River? Because I don't know, but I think it's been sung at every funeral of every person in the Hopkins family that I've ever been to. But often when I think about my grandma or my grandfather, my grandpa's been dead for almost 30 years in a long time. But when I think about them, that song pops into my head. Well, it's not necessarily a joyful thing because I'm reminiscing about people that have passed away. But that song makes me think of it. You probably have those same kind of songs in your head as well. Even in situations like that, even where Paul and Silas were, there was joy in singing. And God's praise is accomplished through singing. What about the second thing? Studying God's Word is a joyful activity. It's a bold statement from a school teacher. Studying is a joyful activity. Because i got a hundred kids looking at me and saying, no, it ain't. Nah, Mr. Hopkins, you are crazy. It's not enjoyable at all. Some of you might be looking at me saying, no, it's not enjoyable at all. I hope not. But studying God's Word, there should be joy in it, right? We should have some joy in studying God's Word. First of all, you ever seen a hungry person not happy to eat? Every one of us, y'all are ready to eat right now. We all are, right? Wrap this up. It's time to eat. Ever seen a person that was hungry, not happy to eat? Jesus said, Blessed are they that hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. We should have that hunger, right? Studying is how we get filled. I want a little bit more. I need a a second helping of that right there. Studying God's Word should be a delightful activity. It provides us with an opportunity to learn about God, to learn about Jesus, to learn about what potentially we can do to be better. What we can learn. What we can be more of. Even learn about heaven. 
There are so many things in the Bible that you can study and read about. And you can say, well, I like this or that better. Well, yeah, I understand that. I'm a school teacher. I hate chapter 3 in the World Civ book. It's the least favorite one. I don't like teaching it at all. We still got to do it. But there are things in the Bible that you may like better or worse. Find those things and read them and study for them. Don't just say, well, I read one thing and I don't know if I agree with it. So throw the whole thing away. If my kids at the end of chapter 3 said, I hate this. I'm not doing anything else. They're going to fail. What if we fail? Are we failing in our study? Number three, giving is designed to be a joyful activity. Is there joy in giving? When you drop into the plate, whatever it may be, is there joy in giving? The Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 7 that God loves a cheerful giver, right? God loves a giver, but God loves a cheerful giver. That description there in 2 Corinthians almost makes me think that not everybody is a cheerful giver. If you have to describe it as being cheerful, that may mean some other people wouldn't be. Are we joyful? Are we cheerful in our giving? Acts chapter 20, verse 35, we read a verse all of you are familiar with. It says, it's more blessed to give than to receive. Let's go back to what Linda said there at the start. Jesus, others, ourselves. If I'm going to give, I'm giving so that I can see others thrive. So that I can see the word of God preached and taught. And spread. If I'm putting those things first, then I'm going to be a cheerful giver. That's an act of worship, number three. Number four, praying should be joyful to a Christian. Do we seek, do we have joy when we pray? Maybe. You know, sometimes we pray when things are bad, right? We don't always pray when things are good. It's like, oh, this is bad. You gotta pray about it. Well, we need to pray. Without ceasing, the Bible says. But do we enjoy talking with others? Think about that for a second. Do you like talking to others? Some of you all probably answer is going to be no. It depends on what your job is, right? No, I don't really like talking to them people. But sometimes we don't necessarily like talking with others. But let's narrow it down just a little bit. Do we like talking with our parents or with our children? Or on the flip side, if those people are no longer with us, do we wish we could? Well, who is our Father in heaven? Do you think he wants to hear from us? Amen. Well, I think so. Well, how do we speak to God? We through, through prayer, right? Jesus makes intercession for us. So that's the route that we have to be able to speak. There should be joy in that. If given the opportunity to speak to somebody like that, we should take joy with that. 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 1. I'll give you throw a couple of examples out here. But 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 1. Hannah prayed, my heart rejoices in the Lord. In Luke chapter 1, Mary said, my spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior. These are prayers that people are saying, I am joyful at this experience. Psalm 68, verse 3 says, we should rejoice, we should pray with gladness. We've covered four parts of worship. That we've said are joyful. Fifth, partaking of communion. And this is where you might say, well, then, I don't know. Because partaking of the communion is a solemn activity. You know, when we come up here before, uh, before the table, this is not a time for jokes and cutting up and, you know, working out your comedy routine and all that. That's not what it is. It's a solemn activity. But is there joy in partaking of the communion? Well, why do we do it? 
Why do we do it? If we go back to those things that we rejoice for, then we can also see that there's joy in the communion. We rejoice knowing that our salvation was purchased by Christ. We talked about that a minute ago, right? Those are some things that we should be joyful about, that we have salvation, that Christ wrote our names, that Christ died. So this right here is an opportunity for us to be joyful. Now, we might not express our joy in the same way singing as we do around the table, but when we rejoice, we can still be thankful because if it weren't for Christ, if it weren't for his death, what are these things? These are crackers and drinks that you can set at your kitchen table. But we rejoice here because it allows us to celebrate Christ's death and what it did for us. Jesus is who turns sorrow into joy. It'd been awful sorrowful had Jesus not resurrected from the grave. But the joy is because he did. So I knew a little something about being joyful in worship. I think so. First of all, this gets a little bit into our attitude from last week, so I just want to hit on these things real quick. But I can accompany my physical actions, actually part of getting here, with a little bit of mental work as well. How many of you have ever said, I gotta get mentally prepared for this? We ever thought about that? As we, when you play ball, that was one of those things. But if you got a doctor's appointment or that thing at work, you gotta get sort of mentally prepared. I gotta find myself a little bit. Well, do we need to do the same thing for church? Does worship need to be the same way? I think we need to be mentally prepared for worship. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 15, what is it then? I will pray with the Spirit and I will pray with the understanding also. I will sing with the Spirit and I will sing with the understanding also. Those prayers and those singings in 1 Corinthians, I got the Spirit, I'm happy, I'm excited, but I've also got the understanding, I know what I'm doing it for. I'm not just singing just to be singing. I'm going down the street to do that. I'm here for worship, to sing and to pray, and I know why I'm doing it as well. John 4, 24 tells us to worship in both spirit and in truth. And all of that should come from our heart. we got to generate that, right? We talked earlier at the beginning about generating that joy. i got to generate that joy. It comes from right here. i got lots of things to be joyful about. I got every aspect of worship that I should be joyful in. I got to come with it myself. I got to bring that joy with it when I come. And I can be enthusiastic in worship as well. Last one right there enthusiastic. In loving God, we're supposed to give our all. And isn't worshiping God part of loving Him? We're required to, right? We're required to. I like the verse there at the very bottom. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 23. You're not seeing this for the first time. But whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men. Our worship is not for you or you or anybody else. We come in here for an hour, two hours, or however long we're going to be, and we are to worship God in that time. It doesn't matter about anybody else. Leave all the troubles at the door. Forget all of those concerns because the object of our worship is God. The attitude is I'm going to approach this in the way that I am supposed to approach it. And the joy is I am going to love every single minute of this. Because when it's over, it's over. And then we've got to go back out and face all those troubles that you were talking about a few minutes ago. 
But hopefully, what we do here in these brief few moments on the first day of the week or at the midweek can generate a little bit more for us as we go out. So I invite you, encourage you, whatever it may, to generate that joy in your life when it comes to worship. Generate that joy. Make it to where it is an enjoyable opportunity. Because I'd argue that even though we can list a mile long all the problems that we face, there's a whole lot of reasons for us to have that joy, 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 joy down in our hearts. Bring it out. If there's anything we can do for you, we'd invite you to come while we stand and sing. I'm excited to follow.